All right. Hey, welcome again to everyone who's watching us online or outside. Make some noise if you're excited to be in God's house and hearing the Word of God today, church. Come on. Amen. Okay, we're in this series called Relationship Rehab. We're in the second installment today, and I have the privilege of teaching this with my wonderful wife, Pastor Veronica. Um, we're titling this message today, Restoring Harmony. How do you restore the peace in our homes, in our lives, when maybe we're experiencing a lot of friction and conflict? And that's something, conflict, that Veronica and I know a lot about. We've been married going on this year, 23 years. Yeah. 23 yeah. years. I think any marriage, year one, you start to see what conflict yep. looks like. Amen? Anyone had a year one conflict? Yep, yep. It doesn't take 23 years to figure it out, but it's definitely conflict is a part of life. We were married young, 19. Yeah. We were 19 when we got married. Isn't that crazy? It's been so amazing, though. And one of the things that we've seen God do is he's provided great mentors and great people in our life to have such a great marriage. It's not a perfect marriage, but it's a marriage that we're very proud of. So, so here's what we've been praying for over your life and over your marriage this week. And by the way, if you're not married today, we do believe that the principles that we're going to share from God's word can apply directly to your life, to your relationships, to wherever you're feeling conflict and in need of peace. God's same word can apply to your situation. But we've been praying for your life and for your marriages specifically. This word in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice and we're speaking joy back into your life in your home in your marriage strive for full restoration encourage one another be of one mind live in peace and i just speak that right now full restoration in your marriage in jesus name that you would live in peace and the god of love and peace will be with you how many of you want some peace in your life anyone want some peace in their life and their relationships every one of us want that but but it's not the reality oftentimes that we experience more often than not our homes our relationships and our marriage can be filled with conflict right right and that's one of the things that me and jason constantly have to adjust and grow to is this issue of conflict and conflict is just this it's really simple it's when you have two differing opinions and there's emotion involved, right? That's like, okay, we have two different things. Not everyone is always going to agree. We don't always think the same, feel the same, want the same things. So there's this conflict that happens because we're just different people. And what's funny is that, you know, there's certain times of the month for those of us who are women where conflict tends to be a little bit higher. You know what I mean? Come on, say that. You know what I mean? Yeah? Okay. Okay. And so I have a little advice for the men in the room. First of all, Whenever it is that time, just agree. Just say yes. Whatever. Because it might change in a Wisdom few days. Wisdom right it now. Might change. Wisdom. It might change. Yes. And then let me just speak this from the Holy Spirit. Get a period tracker. Men, get a period tracker. I no, feel the Holy Spirit right now, yes, you guys. Yes, I, I do too. He just I do came too. in the room this right is, now. This is from Y'all don't know. Y'all didn't even know heaven. there was such a thing called a period tracker. But you need to know when she's in the window. You do. You need to know. That will solve 50% of your conflict automatically. You just know what's happening and why she's saying the things she's saying, why everything is differing. But also knowing like when someone's menopausal or premenopausal or past menopause, you know, pray for your wives. It's Love real. them well. Love them well. And just say yes. Amen? Just say yes. But really, no one in the room should feel like... <laughs> No one in the room should feel yes. like your, your marriage or your family is dysfunctional if you have conflict. Conflict is just normal. It's a normal part of life. Write it like this. All relationships have conflict. That's right. That's right. All relationships have conflict. 
And then now look at your neighbor and say, I know you have conflict. I know you have conflict. I know you have conflict. It's normal. You have conflict. I know you do. And then the second thing you can write down is great relationships have healthy conflict. And now look at your neighbor after you write that down, especially if it's your spouse or your kid or your friend, and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Now, automatically, all of the marriage issues are gone. I just healed everyone's marriage in the room right now. Some, some of you haven't said That's those words forever. You almost threw up in your mouth. You're on oh. <laughs> it was, some of you didn't say it. I was looking. I saw some of you didn't even say it. Some strongholds that need to be broken it's a stronghold. in this place. It's a stronghold. But we do need to see that you can live in peace in your home and have healthy conflict. Yeah, that these, those two things can coexist. Those things, they can. They, they can, you can. You can have both. So here's what, Pastor Veronica, we, we designed this journey together with you guys. Here's what we want to do. We want to go over the four causes of conflict with you. Like if you're in conflict in any relationship, especially your marriage today, it's probably for one of these four reasons. Then we're going to look at how we respond to conflict, the four responses to conflict. But ultimately, what I think is really going to change your marriage, your heart today, is we're going to give you some decisions, four decisions that you can make today to restore the peace in your heart and the peace in your home if you make it. How many does that sound good? Amen. Okay, let's start right here with these four causes of conflict. Take some notes with us today. The first one is this, poor communication. Poor communication. And this is really important because men and women communicate differently, don't we? Don't we? So in conflict, men want to hear language of respect in conflict. But women want to hear language of love and of care because we communicate differently. For example, when the kids go to bed, if the kids are in bed and they're, they're, they're asleep, men want to hear something different from their wives in that moment. They want to hear their wife say, honey, the kids are asleep in bed. I'll be in the room naked. That's, that's what they want to hear, okay? Now, the women, women are different. What they want to hear in that moment, same situation, kids in the bed sleeping. Women want to hear the husband coming to them and saying, honey, the kids are in the bed and they're sleeping. I'll be in the bedroom folding laundry. Amen. Amen. Vacuuming, dusting, cleaning, whatever, so whatever it's, it is. It's, it's not just that we, though, we, we have differences. But, but I think, I, wouldn't you guys agree with me that in today's culture, the language that we have toward each other has become so vile and vulgar and vicious that, that we, can just, we can just really annihilate people that we don't even know. And I think a lot of it is due to the dehumanizing of people, that we forget that it is a human made in the image of God that we're talking to. So they're not really a person, they're just a social media profile. And because it's a profile, you can attack them the way that you do and type what you type. Because it's not a person, it's a profile. And it's not even a people group, it's a political party. So you can say whatever you want and trash how you want and, and demonize and devalue because they're not people anymore. You annihilate them. And this is like this, this poor communication. Here's what Psalm 141 says. Psalm 141 says, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Some of y'all need this memory verse, dude. It needs to be on your phone right there where you're yeah. texting stuff all the time. Your yeah. screensaver. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Set a guard over my text messages, over my emails. Over. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So notice every, the, the response to conflict, your first response isn't to go to them and try to figure it out. Your first response in conflict should be going to God and going, God, 
help me out with this thing. It's going to get me in trouble. I'm a little bit, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Right. Yeah, amen. Some of you could put a, you know, reminder on your phone even. Yeah. You know, you could put reminders, guard my mouth, Lord. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe. Amen. Uh, maybe not. No one liked that one. So anyway, the second cause, <laughs> they were like, no. Uh, the second cause for conflict is unfulfilled expectations. I like to call this the, you know, shoulds, the expectations that we put on people where they should have done things. You know, my kids should on me all the time. It's really messed up. They, they, they tell me, like, you know, you, you should do my dishes. You should clean the house. You should feed me three times a day. You should do these things, right? They have these expectations. Or we should on our spouses or our friends or our coworkers. Don't be shooting on me. We should. Don't shoot on people. Don't do that. That's messed up. It's really messed up because they have no idea. They have no idea what you're shooting on them. Like, you're, they're saying, like... You know, it's like, it's like it hits them. Like, whoa, I didn't know you were so mad about that. Like, why, what was I supposed to do? There was some shits there that we have. And James says, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, what causes these quarrels, these fights and quarrels among you? What, what is it that's causing them? And if I was to ask you, yeah. what is it that's causing yeah. your fights? Think about it right now. What do you think is causing your fights? Mm. You would probably insert someone's name there. Yeah. Yeah. And you would say so-and-so, for sure. That's who it is. That person, that mean person, that coworker, that in-law, that sabotaging, gossiping person, that's the person that's causing most of the fights and quarrels among you. But James says this. What causes these fights and quarrels among you? He says, don't they come from the de your, desire that the, your, sorry, your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You, you quarrel and you fight. So the answer is this. What causes it? You do. You, what, yeah. You're not getting what you want. You're not getting what you want from the situation. You're not getting what you want from the person. And it causes this fight. We are expecting something from our spouses, from our friends, from our children, that we should be asking God for. And even asking God why we don't have Maybe some of those things that we want. And, and the next verse, actually, James goes on to say, the reason why you don't have what you want is because you do not ask God. So the reason why a lot of the conflict that we're having is this. Check this out, you guys. You're putting an expectation on the other person that only God could give you in the first place. Like, like you're, you're expecting this person to, tr to complete you, to give you peace, to give you affirmation and value. Like some of us are putting so much pressure on a human being when that human being was never intended to carry the weight of that expectation. And under that pressure, of course, there's conflict. These, this is just a, a cause of conflict, the unfulfilled expectations. Here's number three, despising differences, despising differences. So look, guys, we're all different. And when we get together in a relationship, we recognize this. We realize that we're different. It's what attracted you to that person in the first place. They didn't look like you or act like you. You're like, wow, they got different strengths. And you knew they complemented each other. It's what attracted you. Like, wow, they do that. They do it that way. But then after a while, what was complimentary in one season now irritates you in another yep. season. It irritates. Because not only is their strengths not your strengths, but their weakness is not your weakness. And so you're hot and they're cold. And you want to turn the, it up and she wants to turn it down. And you want to spend and she wants to save. Okay, so my wife and I, we handle things differently. We have different personalities in some respects. We have different love languages as well. But it's a good thing 
to be different because we balance each other. We're able to support each other. I mean, if I was married to me, I'd want to kill me. I don't want to be married to me. I want to be married to someone who compliments me. And we get this. It's better to be different, right? It's better. And we understand this in other areas of our life, like in your workplaces, workplaces, our teams. Super Bowl's going on this, this afternoon. And I don't know about you, but the 49ers are probably one of the best well-rounded teams that there is right now. But here's, here's, here's the deal. Listen, you don't, need, you don't need everybody weighing 350 pounds on the team. I don't need that, okay? I just need like four or five guys that weigh 300 plus pounds on the team. And then in the backfield, I, I need that guy skinny and fast, man. I don't need him weighing 300 pounds back there. And then I need a tall guy who can like make quick decisions, has high intellect. We understand in our teams, like differences is what makes us strong. When you have everyone the same, that makes for a very weak, you, like just one focus, one dimensional team. But you get in a very difficult situation where you start to despise the things that make you different rather than appreciating and valuing those things. Here's why. Look what Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, 25. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So whether that is in politics, the House of Representatives, or it is the Hannish House here, I can never let the differences that we have cause me to devalue and despise the other person. So whether that is in, in football, by the way, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I converted her to the Eagles yes. when we got, when we, when we got married. That's the only time okay? I cannot be different. She used to be a Buccaneer fan, and I said, <laughs> not in this house. Yeah. We're not going to have these despising differences it in this house. It was a conflicting day that day. So, but I, <laughs> I actually appreciate my wife, the way she sees things, you know. But once again, when we have conflict, I'm not going to her first to fix it. I got to let God do something in me. Which brings us to this last one, Pastor Right, Robert. and the last uh, reason for conflict is our sin nature. Our sin nature. And there's a difference between our just sinful part of our life, that original sin, and then our sin nature. So in Romans chapter 5, it says that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and it created this separation between us and God. And let me just point out real quick, it says in Romans chapter 5, not Veronica, Romans chapter 5, Adam one man, Adam, not Eve. Just, just to point that out real quick. Adam, uh, sin wow. entered through Adam. I'm just saying Romans chapter 5 says Adam through one man, Adam. Sin entered the world, and then through one man, Jesus, then there came a grace, and that grace was able to get us back connected with God. So it's not that our original sin, it's not that if you're in this house and you're like, you know what, both of us love Jesus and yet we have all this conflict and yes. I don't know why and yeah. you carry this like guilt and this shame. Right. It's not that you're ever going to get rid of conflict because we have a sin nature. There's this sin nature and it's not the salvation part of us. It's the sanctification side right. to us. It's the part that we're, we're walking out our sanctification. We're walking out our issues. We're walking out the things that we still need to work through. And let me just tell you single ladies or single men who are looking for this perfect person who doesn't have a sin nature. Well, I'm sorry. Ask Adam, first of all. And then, <laughs> and then know that there's never a single man. You there's, know what I mean? there's never going to be someone who is not without a sin nature, and that, yeah. that's something that we fight all the time. Romans three twenty three says that for everyone has sin. 
We all fall short of God's glorious standards, meaning those standards that apply to our life, those of you who love Jesus, those are our standards, and we fall short of those standards. We are going to fall short. We're going to have this conflict in our life. None of us have um, a perfect record, a perfect track record. I always say to Jason, I always, the way I process conflict through my coworkers, my friends, my children, I always leave room and I always say, I don't expect Jason to get, always get it right. right. I don't expect my kids to always get it right. If your kids make, uh, have an accident or make a mistake, don't get mad at them. Don't right. punish them for those mistakes. They're human. They're in their own time of growing and learning. Jason is in his sin nature sometimes, and I have to have grace to say he's not always going to get it right. That's really shocking them right now. I just want you to know that. What? No, I'm just kidding. So, so we have that like have these causes. Nature? Yeah, we have these causes of conflict, but, but it's not really... The, the reality is it's not the causes of conflict that, ca that is making it toxic or healthy. It's your reaction to the conflict. So, so how we respond to conflict in our life is what is going to make it either a toxic relationship or a healthy relationship. So let me give you the four ways, the four different ways that we can deal with conflict. And the first several I'm going to give you are, they're wrong, but there are ways that we deal with them. Write these down because the first way some of you deal with conflict is my way. Okay, so this is how I deal with conflict. I'm going to get my way because I said so because I'm right. You're wrong. Deal with it, okay, because I'm the dad because I said so because I'm the husband. Submit, you know, don't you go there. Don't you go there. So unfortunately, some of us deal with conflict this way. So whenever there is conflict, you have to win. You got to get your way, and it's toxic. It's toxic, okay? So, so the second way, though, that we can deal with conflict, others of you go in the other direction, which is not my way, but your way. So, so basically what you do is to, for the sake of peace in your marriage or in your life, you just let them have it. Okay, fine, go, go ahead. And, and you thought that that would create peace, but it didn't create peace. This is not creating peace in your heart. You, you are a miserable martyr is what you are. Okay. And so this didn't, this didn't solve the problem. This isn't creating peace, but it's a way that we try to deal with the conflict. My way, your way. The next one, I think a lot of us are convinced that it's the right way. It's closer there, but it isn't. And it's halfway, halfway. A lot of you do this. You're like, okay, I'll let you, you know, half the time you can do it that way or do it your way. Half time, do it my way, but only you're only left with just being mad at her for 50% of your life. Okay. Or her wanting to kill you for 50% of her life. So, so this isn't, it's not the right way. There's a better way, okay? And, and in fact, every week that I teach here at Discovery Church, I get up here in this pulpit, I contrast, you will, you will see and hear a contrast to the world's way. And that's what this right way to, to deal with conflict. Number four is God's way, okay? So God does have a way that we're to deal with conflict in our life. You want to know what God's way is? Here it is. Here's God's way. I let him deal with me first. That, that's the way. Oftentimes when I'm talking to couples in counseling, I'll tell them, hey, can we table this issue? I know it's important to you, but for the next two weeks, let's table this and let's, let's just see how close to God we can get for two weeks. I'm telling you, nine times out of 10, it solves the problem or it puts them in the right position and posture to actually solve the problem in their life without me. Okay, so, so we're going to let God do something inside of us. There's this, there's this um, phrase in Ecclesiastes that a lot of us knows, and it has this, 
this statement that I think that many of us overlook, that we don't know the theological implication of it. And I want to explain to you some of the theological implication of this statement. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, it says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity. And we, we've heard that, and there's a long list. But in verse 5, here's what he says. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. And you may have read that or heard that or even hear it right now. And you're going, I don't know what that means. Scatter stones and gather them. Here's, here's what this verse is, is saying. Every time that you're in conflict, you have a choice that you can make. You can choose to pick up those stones and scatter them, meaning throw them around. You can throw them. You can pick up the stone and throw them. Or you can get that stone and gather them and build an altar for God. So these are the two choices. There's a time for everything. There might be a time where you gotta where you gotta scatter some stones, and there's a time though that you gotta you gotta gather the stone and, and build an altar. Let God change you. Um, there's a an awesome story in the Old Testament that that explains this situation of scattering and gathering stones. Let me set it up for you in Genesis. You can go read it in Genesis chapter 28 and 29. It's a great story to read, but let me set up before I read you the scripture in your, in your outline today. Um, Jacob, he actually flees from his hometown and he goes to one of his relatives' house, a, a man by the name of Laban. He goes to his house and, and he sees his, uh, Laban's daughter, Rachel, who's beautiful, and he immediately falls in love with Rachel. So he goes to Laban, he says, what can I do to marry your daughter? I'm in love with her. And Laban says, you can work for me for seven years and I'll let you marry my daughter. The Bible says like Jacob did it. He worked for it. Not only did he work for seven years, but it went by so fast because he loved her so much. Seven years goes by. They have this, this ceremony and this celebration. Jacob goes into his tent, but Laban does not send Rachel, his second born daughter into the tent with Jacob. He sends his firstborn daughter, Leah. She goes into the tent. He sleeps with her. Doesn't even recognize to the next morning. That's a whole nother message, y'all. It's just, it's, that's something, something's wrong here. But anyway, he wakes up and he's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. No, I'm just kidding. He's like, who's, <laughs> it's a different message, you guys. But he's like, he goes to, he goes to Laban and he's like, you tricked me. I, I, I worked for Rachel. And he said, well, we got this custom in our land that I can't give you my second born daughter if my first born daughter is not married yet. And so I needed to give you her. And he says, so what do I got to do then to marry the one I love? And he says, you got to work for me seven more years. So, so he does. He works seven more years, and he does marry Rachel, but he continues to work for him for 20-plus years, he does. And their relationship between Jacob and Laban continues to, to devolve into a toxic situation, okay? To, to the point where one morning, like in the eve, like before like, um, like the sunrise, he tells his wives, that's it. I'm done with this guy. He's changing my wages. He, he kind of ran all the flock and the herd and all of it was a manager of his household. And he's like, I'm done with this guy. We're sneaking out of here. We're just going to go in the middle of the night, take all of our stuff. And they sneak away. Well, when Laban wakes up, he's obviously upset. He's like this guy who's the manager over my whole house, manager of all my herds and stuff like that just disappears, doesn't tell me anything. And he takes my daughter. So I don't even get to say goodbye. So he's all offended. He gets all of his men and his warriors and mounts his horses and goes and chases after Jacob. And this is like a very bad situation is about to happen. A collision course is about to happen. A conflict. Both of them feel rightly justified in their anger. Both of them are offended at the other person because of what they did or what they didn't do. And Jacob hears that Laban's chasing after him. And something's got to happen inside of Jacob's 
heart here because it's it can get really not just toxic but dangerous we can pick up stones and we can beat each other up with them but look what it says in genesis chapter 31 let's pick up this story verse 45 says so jacob took a stone he could have thrown it but look what he says he built a pillar he built an altar with it he said to his relatives let's not scatter stones let's gather stones we can clobber each other with these we can throw it but let's gather the stones. So they took the stones and piled them up in a heap, which means an altar. And they ate there by the heap. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today. This message in one sentence is this. Before you ever try or continue to try to work on your relationship and work on the conflict, let God do a work inside of your heart. Let God do a work. And what's beautiful about this is now their response to the conflict does not affect your heart. It doesn't matter how they respond. Look in my eyes, you guys, look up here real quick. Some of you, listen to me, have trapped yourself inside of this conflict because you've told yourself you'll never be okay unless they. And, you, and you've now surrendered your peace and your happiness to the situation or to that person. You've attached it to something they must do when in fact the reality is it's not about them. You just haven't built an altar with God. You're picking up those stones, and some of you have been thrown at each other and clobbering each other for so long. And what I want to encourage you today is, is gather them, not scatter them. So, so let me give you a new thought. This is the big reveal of the message today. Conflict cannot continue without my participation. Will you write that down? Conflict can't continue without my participation. I don't have to wait for you to decide. I decided. Therefore, there is no conflict. You know, conflict takes two people. It only takes one person to be bitter. It only takes one person to throw a hissy fit, but it takes two people to have a conflict. And if I don't play, it's over. I'm letting God do a work inside of me. I'm letting God change me. And some of you are skeptical right now going, oh, Pastor, but you don't know my situation, man. Yeah, but have you let God transform you into a new person yet? So here's what I want you to do today. Today, instead of like continuing to scatter stones, clobber each other with those things, what if today you built an altar with him just between you and God and made what I'm going to give you four decisions to restore harmony to your heart. What if today you built an altar? You don't start working for the reconciliation between you and whoever. You say, God, I'm working on me. And I know that's not what you want to hear. I know some of you are like, come on, pastor. I drug him to church for this. And, and you've been dragging him and drugging him for years and it ain't working, right? It's, it, it's, it's not working. And you keep praying, God, change them. And God has been waiting for you to say, God, change me. Lord, change me. So what do we do? How do we restore the peace in our marriage? I guarantee you this will work. If you stop trying to work that thing out of them and you just build an altar for yourself and make four decisions, it'll change your life. Here are the four decisions right now. Number one is this. I will act and not react. I will act and not react. So just because you can explain why you reacted the way you did does not excuse how you reacted the way you did. I will act and not react. So no longer am I going to wait around for conflict to come and then react to it, fangs out and claws out, and then have to come to church again on a Sunday and be like, oh, dang it, God, I messed up again. Forgive me, God. No, I'm going to make some pre-decisions here. And, and, and I think it might sound odd, but I think every couple ought to do this. Every couple ought to have a pre-fight plan. 
Not a pre-flight plan, a pre-fight plan. Veronica and I have done this. We said, when, it's, when it happens, because it's going to happen, we're going to have differing opinions and high emotions, and when it does, we're going to set some ground rules. And it's based out of Ephesians chapter 4. Y'all, a lot of you know this verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 says, in your anger. So you're angry. I understand. It's okay. But in your anger, do not sin. So there's a choice there in the middle of that for you to act not react. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So every time I wait on this and I, and I, and I, I pause and I, then I'm actually giving the enemy, if I don't deal with it now, I'm giving the enemy rule and reign in my life and in my marriage. So Veronica and I have some pre-fight rules that we want to share with you. And I, maybe you need to make your own. You can borrow these. These aren't even in your notes, but let me give them to you. Six pre-fight rules for you. Okay. Number one, never put it off. So, so this one's based on the scripture itself. Don't sleep on it. This has actually motivated me and Veronica to work out some things because we're tired and we're like, we can't go to sleep. Let's just, let's act. In fact, the last um, disagreement we're having, I ain't going to tell you when, when we had. The last conflict. Yeah, when, the last what? The last conflict we were having. Um, uh, it was late. I was tired. I'm like, honey, you're my best friend and I'm your best friend. We love each other. Let's just start being friendly now. And we were so tired. She was just like, okay, good idea. Never put it off. Pre-fight right. rule. Never, never. Where sometimes you're just too tired, right? Yep. Um, and then the second thing is never call names. Never call names. Don't do this game where you do the, I didn't say that you are that. I said you were being like this. Or acting. Huh? Or acting. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't say you were dumb. I said you were acting dumb. You know, don't play those games. It's so important to make sure that you are speaking life into your partner, even when there is tensious moments. Jason does really good at this because whenever we're in those tensious moments where he could say that I'm acting a certain way, and maybe I am, um, but he doesn't. What he does is he speaks life into me, and I really honor this about him. He'll say things like, Veronica, you're sympathetic and kind, and I can understand where you're coming from. Or Veronica, you know what? You're, you're always thinking about others, and this is what I love about you. And he speaks life, and he speaks things into me that I'm not even behaving as in those moments. And so never name call is one of our it's rules. It's a pre-fight rule. Here's another one. Never raise your voice. Hey, everybody, you, especially you guys, listen to me. It's, it's, I'm just telling you, you can say what you want to say, but you don't need to be loud. You're not more convincing with more volume. <laughs> Okay, so the Bible says Amen, a harsh said. word stirs up anger. So you're not, you're not helping, you're actually hurting the situation. So say what you want to say, but keep it calm. All right, that's good, that's good. And then um, never get historical. Also never get hysterical, but yeah, historical too. is really the rule. Yeah. Never get historical. How many of you have ever heard of the term gunny sacking? Anyone ever heard of the term gunny sacking? Okay, a few of you. So it's a, a conflict term, and it's a term that people use whenever they, like, store everything up that they've ever done, and they put it in this gunny sack. And then when conflict comes, it's like, let me yep. just pour it all out on you. Let me tell you everything you've ever done that's ever bothered me, that anything and everything, and you gunny sack them, and we just don't do that in the Hannah's home. Yeah, it's not cool. Here's another pre-fight rule. Never say never or always. You ever do that? Like, so you never treat me with, you always are. And so when you do this, because no one is ever never anything or always anything. And when you say this, then the argument starts to become about the validity of that statement. Nah, I don't always, there was that one time I, and then you're off track, man. So, so don't go there. Don't never 
say never or always. Yep. And then the last one, which is a big one, is never threaten divorce. We never threaten divorce. We never threaten separation or, um, you know, that there's a back door. There's never a back door in our marriage. There's never going to be a place or a time where that's going to be okay or acceptable. And we do. We, I, I feel like we live in an age where any kind of emotion that you feel, you feel like people have told you, feel it, say it. Have it your way. Do things your way. But let me tell you that if you are someone in the room who is constantly saying, I'm going to leave or I'm going to separate or I'm going to take the kids or I'm going to whatever the threat is, your emotional intelligence level is at a teenage level. It is at a level where you need to go back in life and you need to evaluate what was going on during your teenage years and find some healing in yourself because teenagers do those things. At that teenage level, your emotions do those things, not as an adult. You need to heal from some things and never do that to your spouse or your family. The destruction that it does to your children is uh, unfathomable in those moments for you to really understand what it's going to do. So the first thing that we're supposed to do to restore peace is not to, uh, to act and not react. The second thing, write this down, is I will focus on the good things in you. And this is a great transition from saying something so harsh to (laughs) saying something so good. Let's focus on the good now. All right, amen? No? Okay, amen. All right, let's focus on the good things. So I will separate the conflict from the person. I will make sure that I am not seeing Jason as the conflict, but he is still the person. Sometimes we forget what are the good things in our spouse because maybe we've had conflict upon conflict. Maybe there's been one conflict where there's been years that have passed over the same exact thing and you just can't get past it mm-hmm. in your marriage and it blinds you. Yeah. And what we need yeah. to do is we need to remember the good things in our spouse. I can think of those things every time I pray for Jason, which is every single day. Every single day, I don't go to God and I don't say, God, fix him. He's this, he's that. He's all of these bad things. I go to God and I say, God, thank you so much for his integrity. Thank you, God, that he's a man of character, that I can trust him with our family. God, thank you that he's an honest man who loves you. And I go before God like that with him, and I think of him like that. Philippians 4, 8 says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What you can go back and do in that scripture is underline every time it says whatever, because it's saying whatever. When you're in the middle of that conflict, whatever he did or whatever she is good in her, if it's just that he took a shower that day, you know what I mean? Like, okay, your attitude stinks, but at least you took a shower. The you know bar is really low for you guys. It Come is. on. It's really low. Good job. Whatever. You have matching socks on. I mean, whatever. <laughs> whatever it is. The Bible is so clear. Whatever. whatever. And the next verse says that after you think about whatever, he took a shower or something, whatever, Lord help us, that then God's peace will be with you. So if you want this peace that we're talking about, number two is if you want peace, change that focus. 
change yeah. what you're focusing so, on. Because you can you can take the stones and you can you can like we gotta build an altar, you guys. What if we did this? What if we stopped trying to fix them? Build the altar between me and God. Lord changed me. And at this altar, I'm gonna make some decisions with you, God. I'm gonna take my ownership back. I'm gonna act and not react here. And I'm gonna focus on the good things. I'm not gonna get pick up my stones and throw out the negative and the bad and always what they're doing wrong. No, man. I'm gonna gather my stones. I'm gonna focus on the good inside of them. And then number three, here's the third decision if you want to restore harmony. I will apply God's grace to you. Isn't it? I think it's so amazing how we can receive so much grace and give so little. Like we want all of it. Forgive me, God, but will you punish them, please? Make them feel it. Amen. Make them hurt because they need to feel it. All right. And so if you really want to restore the harmony, you, you got to apply the grace of God to the other person. R Romans chapter 12 says, do not take revenge. And it doesn't state like if they deserve it or not, it doesn't matter. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And a lot of you are like, oh, I like that part. Burn him, God. Burn him. Now, that's not what it means, though, because the burning is talking about there is this. That's that burning of remorse, meaning this, that your kindness towards them, even when they don't deserve it, leads them to repentance. That's what he's saying there. He goes on. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this is what we need to do, you guys. We need to stop trying to fix them and, and, and solve this. We need to stop picking up the stones and scattering them and throwing them at each other and and, and, and gather those things together and build an altar. Say, God, change me. And if you're, and if you're thinking like, because you can do this, but if some of you are thinking right now, I don't know, Pastor, this, this, this sounds too hard. I don't think I can do this. You're probably right if you don't do this fourth thing that I'm going to give you. Because without this fourth thing I'm going to give you, let me say this. Every time you do this, God transforms you. And every time you, you do this number four thing, this fourth decision, new power and capacity comes into you to do what I'm telling you to do today. What God actually wants, God's way of responding to conflict. Here's the fourth de decision at the altar that we got to make. I will remember God's grace to me. I'll remember the, the love that was poured out, the unconditional, the undeserving mercy of God, even when I didn't deserve it. And every time I remember all that God has done for me, I get new capacity to do it for somebody else. Okay, don't, don't put anything away yet. Let me just read this. First John chapter 4. I want you to receive this. First John chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. In the message, paraphrase, it says this. The person who refuses to love, look what it says, who refuses to love, doesn't know the first thing about God. Listen, time out right there, because some of you have been withholding love, and I get it, it's hard. It's hard to love right now. When you're not getting what you need, it's hard to express that. But you think that you're like withholding something from him or her by withholding your love, and you're not withholding anything from them. Listen to me. You're withholding God. Because he says, God is love. So you can't know him if you keep holding it back and withholding it, if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So this isn't even from you. You can't do it. He wants you to live through him. 
This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we, once upon a time, love God. has nothing to do with your capacity to love God. But that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. So my dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. And so for a lot of you, this is the missing piece. This is why love is being withheld. This is why you're, you're, you got stones in your hand and you're hurting each other because you've never built an altar before God and let him change you first. And some of you maybe you need to, maybe you just need to remember this. Come back to a place to remember at the altar of God, the grace and mercy he has for you. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray this over you.